I'm not sure I've ever done this before, but after Friday night, I rewrote my entire sermon. You see, I was getting ready to watch a basketball game with my wife, and we sat down, we started watching the Celtics. And pretty soon it became apparent to me that they were having a typically bad game, as they've had far too many for me this year, but that's another story. Finally, the Celtics just kept getting behind, getting behind, getting behind. They were down by 32 points, and I finally said, that's it. I, I can't deal with this anymore. And I said, "Hun, why don't you come into the other room with me? But my wife continued to watch the game. In the first half, the Celtics gave up 77 points. Now, I don't know that that's a record for being bad for the Celtics, but I've been a Celtics fan my entire life. I don't actually remember 77 points being given up in the first half ever before. I totally was frustrated, made all kinds of obnoxious comments like, honey, you have not been a Celtics fan as long as me. This team is not living up to the great days. I'm not talking just back to the days of Bird McHale. I'm talking back to Kuzi Havlicek. I mean, I was a kid in North Dakota. My dad was from Massachusetts. I watched the Celtics faithfully anytime they're on TV, read everything I could about them. Please, honey, I said, admit it. They're losing. They're just not very good. Sometimes we feel sort of like the Celtics or those who are watching the game on Friday. We feel like we're down by 32 points. We feel like everything has gone bad. I think of that with regards to the Christian faith. Churches all over the country have been closing, and that's not something new and recent. It's been a trend that's happened for quite some time. Worship attendance in the last year, 10 years has gone pretty steady among those who are Christians, who are faithful. So sometimes we say, well, it's because people who go to church go to church less often. That's actually not true. The attendance of all of us who gather together for worship, except for me, who has to be here every week, that's a different story. But for all of us, that was a joke, for all of us, our attendance is actually held steady. You understand what I'm saying? If you're a Christian, you're attending as often as you were 10 years ago. If somebody's recently come to faith in Christ, they're attending as often as somebody who maybe passed away 10 years ago, and they sort of are sitting maybe in the pew that somebody else was in. Their attendance is the same. What's happened is in 1970s, only 6% of our country were people without faith Today, it's at 22% and growing. It's probably now higher than 25%. Those who identify as being part of a faith are less than 50% for the first time in the history of our country. Hear those numbers? Less than 50% of Americans claim to have any relationship with any community of faith. That's not just Christian. That's Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, anything. We're becoming a very unreligious group of people as a nation. And that can make us as Christians feel like we're down by 32 points. We can have that same kind of feeling that I was sort of having watching the Celtics game, saying, wait a second, we're supposed to be sharing our faith. We're supposed to be seeing 
new people coming to faith, and trust me, we do see new people come to faith here in this church. It's not what I'm saying. I'm talking in a, a more global sense as a country and even what we see in the world. Now, when we experience those things or see that, we can tend to get frustrated and we can tend to get discouraged. I think of Brad Stevens at the end of the game on Friday, somebody said to him, Brad Stevens is a coach of the Celtics, if you don't know who I'm talking about, somebody said to him, did you know your daughter left the game at halftime? And Brad Stevens had the great answer. He said, hey, if I was watching that team, I probably would have left at halftime also. <laughs> Obviously didn't want to throw his daughter under the bus. Well, many Christians, unfortunately, are acting like I acted Friday night. We're losing. We're frustrated. We're upset. We complain. We get angry. All sorts of stuff. Now, that's not only with regards to the Christian faith. That can be other things in our life. There are times in our life when things just start going bad. I forget about the, the sense of what we're talking about, of sharing our faith and and understanding that we need to stop overthinking it and just have faith and stand up for our faith and share it with others, that's true in all kinds of areas in our life. Things start going bad, and we start feeling like we're down by 32 points. We start seeing all the problems, and we become like Brad Stevens' daughter. We just want to check out at halftime. Have you ever had those moments in your life? We've all had them. When it's like, come on, what else can go wrong? Just one thing after another, and it mounts up. And that's really what this morning's message is about. What to do when down by 32 points? What do we do at that moment? What do we do at that moment when we're frustrated, we're upset, we just can't believe where we are? We want to just lash out, or we want to go and hide? Well, the scripture gives us a different way, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to continue in our study of the seven churches in the church uh, in the book of Revelation. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Pergamum. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you that we can trust in you no matter what's going. We can trust in you and we can stand up for Christ, even at those times when things just didn't go the way that we'd hoped for them to go. Same thing's true in our faith, in our families, when, when there's frustration and when Everything's just seemed to go wrong. It can happen in our work. There's different times in our personal lives. We pray this morning that as we open the scriptures and we hear your word to us, that we would hear it as your word to us. In Christ's name, amen. Really, as we think of what it means to be a Christian today, the question almost needs to be asked, what type of Christian does our world need today? Really? It's really what it's about, because we're talking about proclaiming our faith, and we're looking at the church of Pergamum. And the question is, how do we live in today's world? It's easy for us to think that things are worse than they were before, or if we're having a bad week, it's worse to think that this week is worse than any other week. It's kind of like the Celtics. It was easy to think that was the worst game that the Celtics have ever played. Or, or with our kids, if they come home and they have a really awful report card, it's easy to think, oh, it's never been this bad before. Things have never been like this before. But the opposite is actually the truth. Whatever we face and whenever we face those tough times in life, we've been there before. Amen? I'm going to say it again. We've been there before. Amen? And Christians have been there before. 
And Scripture talks to it over and over and over again. The Scripture talks to us about how to live at those moments when life is just not going the way we'd want it to go. The problem is often we feel like our problems we need to fix. Hear me? A lot of times we feel like we need to fix it. And then we make matters worse. That's why one of my favorite sayings is, I never got myself in trouble when I kept my mouth shut. (laughs) Hear that? (laughs) I would have been better off Friday, trust me. My wife didn't need my comments and my insistent sort of heckling her from the other room as I was listening to the stereo saying, honey, come on in here. Why don't you just sit down and listen to some records? And she didn't need to hear that as she just kept watching her basketball game. Yes, we feel like we need to fix the problems. Again, that's why we're looking at these seven churches in the book of Revelation. Today, we're looking at Pergamum. Pergamum was a community that had more temples to foreign gods than any other community in the Roman Empire. It was the most offensive place for Christians to live. Everything was just in their face, constantly. Lifestyles that they didn't like, attitudes that they didn't like, beliefs that they didn't like. It's interesting, they also were the community that manufactured parchment. Parchment, ancient paper, you know, before they had this, they had parchment. The word parchment comes from the word Pergamum. So the very name of the city became the first name for paper. Now, why is that important? Because they produced so much paper, because they also were an intellectual area, and so they also were the place not only where Christians felt like their values were constantly being attacked, but it was from that place that they were producing the material to all over the Roman Empire, put out ideas that were offensive to Christians that led to the ultimate persecution of Christians. And when we say persecution, like we like to talk about persecution, we're talking here about persecution. We're talking they put Christians to death for their faith. That's persecution, folks. So when we read this letter, we realize the more things change, the more they stay the same. We may feel like we face stuff in our lives today that how can we do it, and how can God get it through, or how could God have allowed this to happen? We've been here before, amen? We've been here before. There's just times when things just do not go the way that a person of faith believes they should go. There's just times in our life, whether it be at work, or in our family, or in our community, where we just are going to have those times when we're just going to have to acknowledge that things are not the way that we wish they would be. We have our beliefs, and we have our secular society that whether we like it or not, attacks a Christian faith. It does. doesn't support what we believe. We've heard stories from the town of Plymouth of young people who have been ridiculed for beliefs that they had in school. It's not only here. It happens in universities. It happens when you turn on your television. Whether we're talking about Hollywood or business or all sorts of places, there are people who are not that much different than the people of Pergamum who were sending out material to constantly have a viewpoint 
that Christians found offensive. So in our personal lives or in our corporate lives, there's times when we feel as if can't get any worse. I have a friend who is a missionary to Nicaragua. And I was talking to her one day, and I said, you know, it must be awesome. Like, you, you gave up your life here, and you're out serving Christ. And she ended up marrying a guy from Nicaragua and raising a family in Nicaragua. And she said, Stan, do you know what this means when raising children? Now I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's in rural Nicaragua, spends some time in Managua. She's helping the poor. She's spreading the gospel. She's building churches. It, it must be great. Like, your children must just see what a wonderful Christian woman you are, and you, you married the head of a denomination, and wow, you just, this, this must be terrific. And she said, well, actually, no. It means absolutely nothing. Because my daughters want the newest iPhone, a TikTok account, a new Apple Watch, and to look like Ariana Grande. We think we can avoid the influences of this world? Travel to Nicaragua, become a missionary to the poorest of the poor, and you'll find out that there are values that are being propagated that are just as prominent in other parts of the world as they are for us. You see, we can't run and hide. We can't just run away from everything when life doesn't go the way we want it to go. And this brings us to Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. The John says, To the angel of the church of Pergamum write these words, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who are holding to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What we learn from that text is the reason we feel like we're down by 32 points sometimes in life is simple. We are. Hear me? The reason sometimes we feel like things aren't going the way we'd like them to go, they're not. The reason sometimes in life it seems to us like things just can't get any worse, oh yes they can. That's the reality. We do not live in a world pre-Adam and Eve. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which the scripture says that because of original sin, the hearts of humans are wicked. Now, we may not like to say that, and I have even been attacked by some pastors who said, well, you don't believe that, do you? I go, are you kidding me? Original sin is the most self-evident of every doctrine in the Christian faith. 
We're self-centered. We think about ourselves. We think only about ourselves. We want what we want when we want it. And as human beings, we are not prone towards love and grace and forgiveness and understanding. That's why we needed a Savior. Amen? If we were all perfect and we had it all figured out, Jesus would have come down and had a picnic with us. Instead, he gave his life for us. So when we start pointing our fingers at others, we need to realize, yeah, there are others who are doing wrong, but we sin. When he took communion today, it was about us and our own hearts and our own need for forgiveness. And yet John says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. John was writing to the church of Pergamum a letter from Jesus. It's a letter to us from Jesus. When you feel like Satan is winning, read those words. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's more than a 32-point deficit, folks. That's an acknowledgement that there are things that are wrong in this world. And if we just turn a blind eye and act like everything's okay, we're also not living faithfully. John didn't say, oh, just go live like everybody else. The first century persecution had already, been, been, had already begun. And that is the background of all seven letters in the book of Revelation. And so when we see these people who are told Satan's throne is there, they knew exactly what was being said. They knew exactly what that meant because they had lost loved ones to Roman persecution. By this point in the early church, so many despicable, horrible acts happened that sometimes when I read about them and I think about bringing them into a sermon, they're too uncomfortable to talk about. This was a time in the church history in which when they were told Satan's throne was there, they saw it on a daily basis. When things look bad, we can get discouraged and we can listen to all the negative voices. Amen? That's what we can do. When things get bad, we can get discouraged and we listen to all the negative voices. We complain and we feel bad and we sort of become like me sitting on my couch. Honey, what are you doing wasting your time watching the Celtics again? Regina, come on now. I've been a Celtics fan my whole life. I know when a team is ready to give up on. You're a newcomer. We sort of do the same thing in the Christian faith. We have our faith. We're living by faith. Somebody new comes to faith. And we're going through a tough time, and they say to us, you know, you just need to trust God. Yeah, right. Are you kidding me? My kids are telling me to trust God. I'm a pastor. A new convert in the church is telling me to just trust God. Excuse me? Wasn't I the one who shared Christ with you, and you came to faith, and I started you in Bible study? Now you're telling me to trust God? Yes, Pastor Stan, that's what I'm telling you. Yes, the reason we feel like we're down by 32 points is sometimes we are. Regina refused to give up her Celtics. She posted on Facebook, that's because she has faith. She didn't say anything about me. You see, when down by 32 points, keep believing. When you're down by 32 points, that's not a time to give up. It's not a time to be like Brad Stevens' daughter and walk out of the game. And yet we do. 
I give up, that's it, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Or we get angry. We lash out. We do all kinds of stuff. That's not what Jesus commended these Christians for. The text does not say, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you're the biggest jerk in the neighborhood, but man, you showed them who's boss. Also doesn't say, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, but you're hiding out and afraid and have gone out in the wilderness away from everyone else. Listen to what Jesus does say. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. Hear that? You keep on believing. When life gets tough, we keep trusting. We know who we believe. We know who gave his life for us. We know who our Savior is. We know that in the end, we've read the end of the book, Jesus wins. The word held fast is often used in the scriptures to talk about holding fast to negative things, to negative traditions. John uses it here in a letter from Jesus in a positive manner. I think of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the person who gets credited with starting the Great Reformation, one of the greatest moments in church history. The church has done all of these things, including going down to selling indulgences. Do you know what that means? That means you've got to pay me to do prayers for you to get your family out of purgatory. Martin Luther came along and said, all you're doing is trying to raise money in, a, in an obnoxious manner. And so Martin Luther finds 95 things that he has complaints about the church. All he did is he just wrote out a list on a piece of paper and he stuck it to a door. That's all he did. He didn't fight with people. He said, this is what I believe. Then he was called to a council. It's called the Diet of Worms where he believed they were going to take his life. They, he believed, he went there believing that he was going to die if he did not renounce his faith. faith. Do you know what Martin Luther did? This is what I believe. Here I stand. That's all he did. Here I believe. This is where I stand. Do you know what that did? It changed the world forever. Because that began the Protestant Reformation. Because when he took a stand, he said, this is what I believe. He didn't fight with anybody. He just said, this is what I believe. Lo and behold, everybody else said, hey, I believe the same thing. And the next thing you knew is the entire nation of Germany revolted, started the Protestant church. Lutheran tradition begins. And from that, massive revival takes place all over the world. What Christians in Pergamum did was live by faith when things look bad. That's what they get commended for by Jesus. Listen for the same thing in your life. When things are tough, hold fast to Jesus' name. Then when things are tough, hold fast to Jesus' name. And then when things get really bad, hold fast to Jesus' name. He is your Savior who loves you, who gave his life for you, who's with you no matter what, who will talk to you, who will listen to you, who you can walk with and talk with and spend time with. And no matter how tough things get, remember this, hold fast to Jesus' name. They didn't even really try to convince others of anything. 
Their form of evangelism, according to Revelation, is they simply held fast to Jesus' name. And now we know it worked because the church, as we've pointed with these other churches out, continued to grow and continued to be there. And that's one of the mysteries of how God works. Listen carefully. God doesn't do things the way I would do them. Like for me, if I wanted something to go a certain way, I would put together a plan and make it go a certain way. God seems to have a different way of doing it. He says, well, you know, I got these people who follow me, who are the body of Christ, and if they would just simply hold on to their faith, other people will say, how do you get through that tough time? How can you face that obstacle in your life? And now we can witness to our faith. We can share the love of Jesus. Because we serve a loving Savior that we hold fast to, that no matter what we face, we know that God is with us. We know that no matter how difficult life can be in our family, in our work, in our town, in our community, in our church, we know we simply will proclaim our faith. Amen? We'll proclaim our faith. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Try to get me to take a different position. We're not going to. That's what the church in Pergamum did. Kind of like my wife on Friday night. Now, I'm sitting in the living room listening to Deep Purple. She's watching her Celtics. Now they're only down by 25. They're down by 20. I turned up smoke on the water a little bit louder. Down by 15. I think I shouted back at this back, back when she said that. They've done that before, dear. Oh, yeah. They get way behind. They kind of catch up. They lose the game. Down by 11. Down by 9. Down by 5. She never stopped believing. She never quit believing. I called David after the game was over, and I said, you know, you and I might know more about basketball, and I might have played basketball in high school, and my wife might be a recent convert. Listen, the woman's only been a Celtics fan for about four years. It's not like this is a lifetime passion for her. She only more recently started watching the Celtics, and I said, but I have to admit, she's a bigger believer in them than I am. Somebody told me recently that the motto of Fellowship of Christian Athletes is, I play for one. Think of that, folks. We have a Christian organization out there helping young people all over our country understand what the Church of Pergamum understood, that no matter what, I play for one. We're losing the game, I play for one. We win the game, I play for one. I have a problem where somebody says something on my team that I feel like I'm being treated unfairly, I play for one. I play for Jesus. When life gets tough, when we feel like we're down by 32 points, we keep believing. We keep trusting. We keep putting our faith in the one who's got us through everything and will continue. And that's how we witness to our faith. This is what our world needs. It doesn't need me to go out and try to persuade somebody else of something. 85% of non-Christians have said, I don't care how well you persuade me of anything. I'm not going to listen to you anyhow. 65% of non-Christians have said, when Christians love me and listen to me, they start making me think maybe there's something true about their faith. 85% of non-Christians say, when you try to argue with me, even if you made a good point, I ignore you anyhow. 65% of non-Christians say, 
when you love me and you accept me and you listen to me, I start thinking there might be something authentic about your faith. 85% of non-Christians say, Pastor Stan, no matter how good of an argument you come up with me, it doesn't matter, because if you're arguing with me, I ain't listening to you. 65% of non-Christians say, Pastor Stan, when you listen to me and love me, I start thinking there's something authentic about your faith. That's what the Christians at Pergamum did. They stood for Jesus. They stood for Christ. They knew who they trusted. They knew who they believed. They were people who passionately understood that no matter what the Roman government threw at them, no matter how much parchment paper was going to get sent all over the Roman Empire, dispelling beliefs that were contrary to everything that they believed in, no matter how difficult life became, when down by 32, they were just going to keep believing. Which is why there's one other thing that's interesting in this text. That's what we need to admit when we're wrong. It says it right here. Verse 14. I have a few things against you. Verse 16. Therefore, repent. Keeping faith in a difficult time wasn't everything. Because there was still compromise, just like there is in our faith. When I live for Jesus and I do my best to trust my Savior, when I get up in the morning and give my day to Christ and end my day and, and end my day with a prayer, it doesn't mean I get it right. And it doesn't mean you get it right. And if you're sitting here this morning and you think you get it right, it's not what the Scripture teaches. We are all sinners saved by grace. Amen? So we are. My dad used to say, I've said it before, we sin in thought, word, and deed every single day. And so, as much as Jesus is commending them, saying, wow, you're standing for me, and John's writing the letter, he says, but remember, we do have to repent of some things. Some people have fallen into the teaching of Balaam, some have been practicing sexual immorality, and some have been following the teaching of the, of the Nicolaitans. Now, we don't know the specifics of all of those things that have been going on and what have been done, but when we read about stuff that happened in the ancient Roman Empire, some of it is pretty nasty, disgusting stuff and things that we certainly wish wasn't happening. So what does Jesus say? Repent. Repent. If we're going to be followers of Christ during the good times and the difficult times, we also need to be people who are able to look at ourselves, or as my mother used to say, Stand when you point your finger at everybody else. Look at the three pointing back and deal with ourselves first. When we get discouraged and see what others do wrong, we're looking at the wrong place. Even Jesus said it. Don't look at the speck in your brother or sister's eye when you miss the what in your own eye. Come on, nice and loud. Plank, log. That's what Jesus said. Repent. Constantly realize, folks, that yes, we stand for Jesus. Yes, we can feel like we're down by 32. Yes, life can be difficult. But there's a solution. Allowing Christ's love to always penetrate and looking at what we've done wrong and be willing to admit. They're only down by four points, I heard from the TV room. So I did what any good self-respecting Celtics fan does. 
wow, this is an amazing game, honey. <laughs> this is awesome. Wow. Let's go. David, I called him on the phone. David, are you watching this game? This is incredible. I thought you were the guy discouraging me. Oh, no, that, yeah, that was a mistake, honey. This is incredible. Jason Tatum scored 60 points. That's as many points as Larry Bird scored. That is the most points in the history of the Celtics, folks. That's called repentance. Do you know how hard it is for a husband to say to his wife, I'm sorry, honey, I was wrong and you were right? <laughs> Admit when we're wrong. Yes, I rewrote my sermon after watching my wife have faith in the Celtics game. Isn't that what we're called to do? We're called to trust and believe. We're called to look at when we're losing and realize others are going to rub it in and are going to say stuff, and we've got to learn to silence those voices in our head. She said, true to a sports team, we have something far more important in our life than the Celtics. We are Christians. We're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're followers of our Savior who gave his life for us. When we stand true to our faith, we may not think that that's how God fights his battles, but my Bible tells us that's how God fights his battles. We may not see that when Martin Luther simply said, you're going to take my life, then take my life. Here I am. He showed up to the Diet of Worms and said, Here I am. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe. And in the early church, no matter how intimidated the Christians were, no matter what was said to them to put them down and to take their lives, they said, I know who I serve. I know who I trust. I know who I believe. That's what we're called to do to love unconditionally and share Christ's love with others, to admit when we're wrong, to acknowledge the fact that we are not perfect, but man, the guy that we serve is, he gave his life for us. And no matter what we've done, his grace and his love and his forgiveness is showered upon us every single day and on our children and on our grandchildren and on our community. And when we weep for things in our work or in our families or in our communities, we know that Christ weeps with us. But we also know that we read the end of the story. God wins. God wins. No matter how bad something may seem in a moment and how much we may feel at a given time that things are not the way we want them to be, we're people of faith. And we have faith in someone better than Jason Tatum. Remember, even Brad Stevens' daughter walked out in the game. But we're people who trust and believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we overthink it all. We try to figure it all out and do our own plans or get discouraged or complain or listen to the negative voices or just simply mess it up. Today, help us hear what Jesus tells us to do. Help us read the letter to the Church of Pergamum because sometimes we feel just like them. Maybe we aren't facing the persecution in our life or in our family or in our homes or our jobs the way that they did, but at the same time, we can certainly identify with what they were going through. Help us learn to have that same faith, to trust in you and stand firm. 
and to know that we trust in the one who gave his life for each of us, in whose name we pray. Amen.